Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's up with you? Oh, Ben, Ethan couldn't make it this week, but Best of One Bob is here to welcome in Strixhaven with you. Oh, whoa, Best of One Bob, welcome. <laughs> uh, how's it going, dude? I can't believe that Strixhaven, all the cards for Strixhaven are out already. That's crazy. You texted me yesterday. You were like, the full spoiler is out. Should we still do our normal, like you know, incomplete picture episode? Probably not, huh? Probably not. It is crazy that all the cards are out already. Watsy has lost their minds. Yeah, this was a little weird. I mean, we had, we had sort of mapped out our, our shows for the weeks leading up to the set coming out and then had a little wrench thrown in. But never fear, listeners, I strapped myself into my PC yesterday, got myself hooked directly into Scryfall, and we got a nice little archetype skeleton episode mapped out for you today. I also injected Scryfall directly into my veins. I will say, I don't know if Kaldheim just made me a better grokker of cards, but I do feel like I grasped these cards quicker than Kaldheim. Well, I think there's a lot of things happening there. I think that this set is a a little less complex than Kaldheim. I think just having only five decks rather than 10 decks or 10 plus decks, and there may be more than five decks here. We'll we'll find out over the next few weeks. Um, but, But I also think that this is super helpful in terms of looking at cards in the context of the decks prior to doing our grades like prior to doing the crash course I, at the end of it i'm sort of dreading it because i was like oh, i wasn't expecting to have like three hours of additional work or whatever on saturday but at the end of it i was like oh i'm kind of happy i did this because i really feel like i have an idea of which of the cards matter to me in each of these archetypes you know wait do you not normally do that no i don't like i mean not to this extent no i don't do that before we grade cards yeah i always go through and like I look at the whole spoiler, like just straight read through the spoiler, and then I sort by color pair, and then I start grading the cards. Well, so the thing is, is that when we do the set review on stream, we try and do it like as soon as the spoiler drops, basically, like as soon as the full spoiler is out, I make the slideshow and then we go live. And so I don't really have the time to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a I'm not not doing my work out there, listeners, please, please. Don't take that. <laughs> All right. So we've got a lot uh, to cover today. So we're going to dive right in after we get through a little bit of housekeeping stuff. First things first, the Patreon. I'm not going to talk too much about the Patreon. You're going to hear a lot of great things about Strixhaven today. There's even more dissection going on in the discord, which is what you get access to at any level of giving back to the show via the Patreon. Um, we're breaking the set wide open, usually in the first week of a format. It's just the most fantastic community, a great place to discuss all things limited and we've got some folks joining this week they know what's up hopefully you out there do too so we're welcoming to the fold this week alessandro chris jank junction ryan sebastian norman simon tubinator christian andrew ben and jonathan thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough the discord continues to be great i was stuck at a car dealership for three or four hours the other day and i was on my phone on the discord the whole day just like reading strixhaven previews and (laughs) talking about strixhaven with folks and it was great show is also brought to you in part by channel fireball channelfireball.com best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related they've got strixhaven you want strixhaven it's a match made in heaven it's quickly approaching and you can pre-order all your Strixhaven goodies at channelfireball.com from draft boosters to set boosters to commander decks. They've got all your Strixhaven needs covered. I did see something that said like Strixhaven product was going to be delayed or in short supply or something. So you may want to head over to Channel Fireball stat and get on that. Also, CFB wants you to note that pre-orders will not ship before April 23rd, 2021. And for anything that you need over at Channel Fireball, whether it's Strixhaven product or singles, make sure you use code LOL when you check out so that CFB knows that we sent you over there. All right, so we're going to briefly look at the new mechanics before we dive into these five archetype skeletons. First things up for Strixhaven is Learn, which is, I guess, paired in tandem with Lessons. Um, So when you cast a spell that tells you to learn, you have three choices when you do so. What are those? First is discard a card and draw a card. I think that's not optimal. Second is putting a lesson card into your hand from outside the game, which is essentially going to be your sideboard. I think that's going to be the mode you're hoping to use. And the third choice is do nothing. And I can confirm as an educator, there are lots of students that choose not to learn, but you should not be one of those in Magic the Gathering. (laughs) Okay. All right. Bringing that real world into the game. I like it. So as an example, we've got first day of class, which is one on a red for an instant at common. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on it and it gains haste until end of turn. And then it has the text learn. So usually these seem to be tacked on to 
effects that we've seen before. This is perhaps not one of those. You know, there's a card like Pop Quiz, which is tune a blue, draw a card, and then learn. So it's sort of like, well, we're used to two mana for draw a card, kind of. So we'll tack on a third mana and then add this additional value to it. Yeah, it's draw a card, but it's draw a specific card out of your sideboard, assuming you've done your homework and collected the lessons that you want. Oh my God, you are on point today, buddy. <laughs> Love it. Um, so uh, lessons are a new subtype of spell. What's going on there? So there's a lesson slot in every booster for common, rare, and mythic lessons. So every pack is going to have at least one lesson, and it will be common, rare, or mythic rarity. Then there's also uncommon lessons that are going to appear just as normal in the uncommon slots. And this isn't going to be as relevant on Arena, but in regular boosters or MTGO, you can have foil lessons of any rarity in a common slot. So theoretically, on Arena, it will be possible to have multiple lessons in the same pack if you get uncommon lessons but if not there will be one lesson per pack yeah so we've got expanded anatomy as an example it's three mana for a sorcery lesson put two plus one plus one counters on target creature it gains vigilance until end of turn yeah and i should note that lessons are just a subtype of spell right so you can just put them in your deck too right yes you don't have to put them in your sideboard if you feel like you've got an overpowered lesson although if you're doing it right you'll have multiple learn cards that fetch the lesson so really the better the lesson is you might want it in your sideboard more Right. Yeah. And and a lot of them, at least these colorless ones that are common, you know, they're not anything huge to write home about. Like expanded anatomy isn't insane, though it does have some synergy as we'll get to later in the episode. But they they are still kind of like these free spells. There's just this excitement of like, I feel like I'm seeing them through the lens that I saw the MDFCs. I was like, these are so powerful. They're lands or they're spells. And this I'm also seeing like learn and lesson as a very powerful or potentially powerful thing for limited. Well, right. So lesson adds modality to all of your learn spells, right? So if you picture first day of class as having, you know, the text it has whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on it and it gains haste. Not a great magic card, right? But there are other ones with learn that are better. And then if you tack on the abilities of five or six different lessons that you have in your sideboard, that's so much modality that you have to choose from. And I think, you know, we've been trained that having choices is powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even cards and limited that you know, either effect aren't that exciting. Having the option between the two, and certainly best of one Bob would say that choices are great. Um, (laughs) But having the choice between the two, I think makes that card more powerful than just those individual modes. Yeah. And that brings us to our third new mechanic, which is Magecraft. Magecraft is an ability word that highlights triggered abilities that give you some sort of benefit when you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. So we've got Eager First Year as an example here. What does that do? Uh, Eager First Year is one and a white for a 2-2, and it has Magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. It gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. So you can have these just these tiny little bonuses like on Eager First Year or some potentially powerful bonuses for Magecraft on some uh, some higher rarity cards. Yeah, and I think Learn and Lesson are also going to fuel Magecraft, right? Because every spell you cast that has Learn gets you then another spell, theoretically, from your sideboard that is a lesson. So it's a way to jam more spells in your deck, sort of, without actually taking up spell slots. Right, and Magecraft exists across all five colleges. So it's not going to be something that's just inherent to, I mean, even though blue-red is sort of the spells matter archetype, it exists everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Ward is up next, which is a new evergreen mechanic that will continue beyond Strixhaven. It's a triggered ability, and it's whenever a permanent with ward becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, that spell or ability is countered unless the opponent pays whatever the cost is for ward. So sometimes that's going to be two mana. There's a black-white 3-3 flyer where the ward cost is pay three life, which is insane. Um, So there are different ways to cost that, but it's basically just like the Frost Titan text. Yes, People are going to get got by this, right? Because if you don't have the stuff to pay ward, you just actually lose the spell. It gets countered. Right. It doesn't cost an additional two. It gets countered unless you pay two. So you're going to be like, do, 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 casting my removal spell, tapping out, and then you're done. That feels like a tough lesson to learn this day and age in Arena because I, I feel bad when you get got by Frost Titan and Cube, and I can confirm I've done it multiple times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were talking about in the 50 takes how bad it felt to get got by like the flip side of Redain every time and, and how that was tough to interact with and i think this is similarly gonna be as you said and i don't know if you meant the pun but it is gonna be a tough lesson to learn i did mean the pun 
Boom. <laughs> and lastly, MDFCs are back, baby. Uh, quite a few, actually, but they're all rares. So not, not a huge deal for limited. All right. That takes us into the color pairs. So normally we would just be randomly speculating about what we thought was going to be good and what looked sweet. I am a little sad that we don't get to do greater garbage this time around. I know. But since the whole spoiler's out, we're going to take a look at each color pair and go through and just sort of give you a broad overview of what we think is going on with each color pair and then dive into some more specific cards. So first up is blue-green Simic Quandrix. <laughs> I had to just put that there for myself. I got to start like mapping the two because I, I don't want to go full boomer and just like the whole set be calling it Simic. So yes. <laughs> Quandrix is up first. The main theme for Quandrix is ramp, draw, and get to eight lands. So blue-green doing what blue-green does best, ramping, drawing cards, with this specific theme of eight lands mattering, which is kind of cool. So just an overall thought about this, looking through all, all the cards and trying to figure out a skeleton and folks who have access to our show notes, we've sort of actually tried to map out a little bit of like a 15 card common uncommon skeleton here in a like, janky word spreadsheet here. Um, but the, the main idea for blue green, I think is you're going to have a really good mix of payoffs and enablers for the deck, um, especially at common. There's a, a couple payoffs that we'll talk about in just a bit there are good pockets of synergy beyond um just the ramp draw get to eight lands type deal you know there is this sort of like fractal thing where you're making these zero zero creatures with some amount of plus one plus one counters on them or just giant zero zeros with uh, x plus one plus one counters on them that sort of thing there is a distinct lack of removal in blue green blue doesn't have its usual like tap a thing it stays tapped type of removal here we're not seeing that enchantment based removal from blue so this archetype is relying heavily on green for removal which it does have quite an abundance of but they're all fight slash punch spells which as we know are you know they they take setup or there's a an inherent risk to firing those off right you can't usually just use them willy-nilly into open mana you gotta pick your spots with those so that makes this a little tough for me maybe that means the bounce spells from blue are going to be more important here um i think you're going to fill out the slots beyond the the main cards we're going to talk about with uh some tricks and and more card draw to keep the the cards flowing which will then keep the lands flowing to get you to eight lands on time i think this is a great home for learn lessons to provide additional card advantage for keeping the cards flowing to get you to eight lands and boy oh boy ben do i think bookworm is going to be the truth here yeah bookworm is spicy so this is one of our official watsi preview cards uh this is seven and a green for a seven seven worm with trample when it etbs you gain three life and draw a card and you can pay two and a green to put bookworm from your graveyard into your library third from the top so this is a real payoff for getting to eight lands and i, I think this is this is in my mind i mean maybe this is also going to be fine in black green um but in my mind this is like a secret blue green gold card and i think it's a real reason to draft this deck it's the quandrix mascot yeah so let's let's dive into what these specific cards are that are enablers and payoffs and there's, there's quite a few enablers actually even though i don't think there's quite a bit of fixing there is a lot of ways to make sure you're going to hit that that eighth land drop on time or even earlier than turn eight yeah so first up we've got field trip this is two and a green for a sorcery search your library for a basic forest card put that card on the battlefield tapped then shuffle you also get to learn so this is essentially three mana ramp plus replacing itself with another card Right, so not quite rampant growth because you only get to find a forest, but then you're tagged on an additional mana cost for it, and then you get that that learn capability. So really strong potential there. Yeah, and one of the best lessons to go get potentially could be environmental sciences. That's mm -hmm. one of the colorless ones that lets you search up a basic land and gain two life. Yeah, for sure. I should also note before we go through this entire episode that we're only looking at commons and uncommons. We won't be talking about any rares just because that's not really what's going to be the bread and butter for your limited decks. Um, next up is emergency. Urgent sequence, one and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. So just straight up rampant growth there. Then that land becomes a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature that's still a land. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it for each land you had enter the battlefield under your control this turn. So holy cow, that's a mouthful. If you play this on turn two, this just makes that land a two, two as well. That's insane. Yeah. I'm, is it? I mean, do you really want your ramp spell to turn your land into a creature that can die? No, but I, but I also am happy to have three mana and a two, two in play on turn two. So you're thinking about it in a very negative sense. I think you want to. <laughs> 
you want to think about the upside of what that that has for you. Yeah. Next up, we've got Eureka Moment. This is two green blue for an instant. Draw two cards. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Yeah, so sort of growth spiral on steroids or something. But I think that card's going to be super important for you. Any of these these cards that draw cards and then let you get another land into play, that's really, really strong. We've got Quandrix Apprentice, green blue for a 2-2 at Uncommon. It is Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, you can look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a land from among them and put that card into your hand and then put the rest on the bottom in any order. That seems bonkers. Yeah, really good. Never missing a land drop ever. Having that in play, you cast Eureka Moment, get that additional land to put into play before you draw two. It's just very, very good. Quandrix Cultivators up next. This is one green Simic Hybrid Blue. How do you feel about those hybrid costs in the middle there? I like it. I think it's weird to say the cost on a podcast, but I like that this can be, you know, you can be heavier green or heavier blue and not feel bad about this kind of card, which I think is good. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I love the functionality of it. I just don't like the aesthetic of the the hybrid card being in the middle. I wanted it at the end. Oh, interesting. So this is four mana for a three, four turtle druid. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic forest or island card and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So that's five ways a common or uncommon to get additional lands into your hand or get additional lands onto the battlefield. So I think that's quite a good bit of support. Quandrix Cultivator seems powerful. Yeah, that's very, very good. Four mana, three, four that ramps. That's very good. All right, so what do we have after we do all this work to get to eight lands? Well, at common, we've got two payoff. So the first is Vortex Runner, which is two and a blue for a two, three human wizard. As long as you control eight or more lands, it gets plus one plus oh and can't be blocked. So that's a three mana, potentially three, three unblockable. That feels a little awkward in that it's an aggressive card in a deck that's trying to ramp. I think this is just your way to win. This is your so you're like, all right, I've drawn all these cards. I've ramped. Now what do I do? And Vortex Runner is like, I got you. I'll kill your opponent real quick. Okay. That makes sense. Scurrid Colony is up next. This is one and a green for a 2-2 squirrel with reach, and it gets plus two plus two as long as you control eight or more lands. Yeah, so I really like these two common payoffs as, you know, a phrase you often use, like good on turn two, good on turn 10 um, type deal. Like these are both just like fine bodies along your curve. And then if you are doing what I think Quandrix is trying to do, which is get to eight lands as quick as possible, then these become really powerful threats, even if you top deck them. Yeah, that sounds great. Moving on to the uncommons, we've got Kelpie Guide, two and a blue for a beast. Tap, untap, another target permanent you control, which is just an effect that I love. I think this is often super underrated and it has a lot of cool little synergies, but then it also has... Uh, tap ability tap target permanent but you can only activate it if you control eight or more lands yeah i'm gonna attack into something with kelpie guide yep and my opponent is gonna untap and block and i'm gonna be real sad the first time it happens and then i'm never gonna do it again yeah and then the biggest baddest one here is both a payoff and an enabler this is zimone quandrix prodigy this card is so good yeah green blue for a one two legendary creature you can pay one tap to put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped so sort of like doing the zendikar rising green white uncommon ability then you can pay four and tap it to draw a card if you control eight or more lands ben you draw two cards instead gee whiz what a powerful card yeah so those are sort of the the short list there of enablers and payoffs for this archetype or what i think this archetype's main theme is at common and uncommon so there's also a lot of other sub themes going on for quandrix it could potentially be a home for multicolor good stuff but there's not actually a ton of ways to fix in green so if you want to do that you're gonna have to pick the common guild gates highly what are they called campuses this whole set is just gonna be boomers trying to adjust their terminologies i don't know i think i'm gonna get there because i'm really excited about the flavor never in my life have i been excited for the flavor of a magic set and this one got me i'm in all right hopefully you can bring me along with with you. So the campuses are there and they're a cycle of ETB tapped duels for each respective college and you, they also have the ability of four tap scry one. And so I do think Quandrix is going to play pretty well with Prismari, which is blue red and that's their thing is kind of casting big expensive spells so those are kind of a natural pair together in sort of a three color wedge yeah that's interesting yeah, you might see some some teamery stuff there's also some life gain synergies inherent to green so you might see some bleed into wither bloom which is the black green college um, but i think you're going to see more of these in wither bloom than you are going to see here but i think it's just important to note that you can do little pockets of synergy there just within green there's a card called master symmetrist which is pretty sweet uh, this is two gg for a four 
4-4 with Reach, and whenever a creature you control with power equal to its toughness attacks, it gains Trample until end of turn. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that I think this plays well with in Quandrix specifically. There's a lot of like big, dumb creatures that exist, a lot of large XX tokens. For example, there's a card like Leyline Invocation, which I'm not even sure is that good, but there are a lot of things that do a similar effect like this, which is five and a green for a sorcery. You make a zero, zero green and blue fractal creature token, and then you put X plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the number of lands you control. So in theory, this is a at its floor, a six mana, six, six, but then can be bigger. And then it's like, well, what do I do with that? Well, I think Master Symmetrist really helps turn that into the colossal dreadmaw of your dreams. Boom. Uh, the XX tokens interact with some cool things that I, I don't know if these are actually going to be playable cards or not, but there are a couple cards that change base power and toughness. And so if you've got a lot of these zero zero tokens with a bunch of counters on them, well, then these things that change base power and toughness are essentially combat tricks. So there's a card called Mercurial Transformation. This is one on a blue for a lesson. Until end of turn, target non-land permanent loses all abilities and becomes your choice of a blue frog creature with base power toughness 1-1 or a blue octopus creature with base power and toughness 4-4. This is a sorcery. So it's not really going to be a combat trick? I guess it's not really a combat trick. So really what we're talking about here is the next card, which is... Square Up. This is one green-blue hybrid for an instant, and target creature has base power and toughness 4-4 until end of turn. So this has the potential to do some pretty big things in combat, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another card that might be interesting is Charge Through. Single green for an instant. Target creature gains trample until end of turn, and you draw a card. So a cheap cantripper with the potential to, you know, if this deck is about, and I don't know how much it will be, but if this deck has a, a theme of making these large, you know, big dumb tokens, I think that Charge Through is a, a real way to punch those through. Ooh, yeah, that card looks sweet, and that has me much more excited about making my large fractal tokens. Yeah. Especially the fact that it cantrips pretty low cost to put into your deck, that sort of thing. There's a really cool way to stack fractals with a common. What is Biomathematician doing? This is one blue-green for a 2-2, and when it ETBs, you create a 0-0 green and blue fractal creature token. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each fractal you control. That card is absurd, and it plays so well with itself. Right, plays well with it, with itself, so you can just get as many as you want. So, right, the first one is a two two and a one one. Then the next one is a two two and a one one, and then it makes another makes that first one one a two two. Right, so now it's four power and toughness for three mana, and they just get better and better the more that you have. And that's sort of like a fractal lord, but it also plays well with a card that I'm interested in called Resculpt. This is one on a blue for an instant at common. Exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token. You can just turn your little 1-1 fractal into a 4-4. Yeah, you're going to be playing Resculpt on your own stuff way more often if you're including it in your deck, for sure. Right. Again, keeping in, in the theme of the big dumb creature thing happening, there are three fight slash punch spells. We're not going to read all of them here um, in green, which I think you know is going to go well with these large bodies. And spells that make XX creatures also double as Magecraft enablers, if that's a thing that your blue green deck is doing but i think just to sum it up primarily the deal is ramp draw cards get to eight lands profit yeah make some big creatures fight your opponent's creatures kill smash yeah so moving on as you said to a deck that might pair well with blue green or an archetype that might pair well with blue green what's going on with prismari yeah so the main theme here is i think at its core magecraft and maybe copying spells, there's kind of two different Prismari decks. Ostensibly, the thing is casting big, flashy spells, specifically that are mana value five or greater. But I'm not sure that that's ultimately going to be the best endgame. So I think there's essentially two decks. There's a deck with Magecraft that's kind of a hyper-focused, tempo-oriented, you know, more of a typical aggressive blue-red spells deck that has some creatures, and then your spells give those creature bonuses, and you know, you're using removal to clear the way, that sort of thing. I think that's kind of the default for Prismari at Common and Uncommon. But then there also are like super big, flashy, expensive spells, and you could play a more defensive role trying to build towards those. I think the most common thing is it's awkward because there's some cards that let you reduce the mana cost of these big expensive spells or make treasure. But almost all of those cards want you to attack to make that happen. And so I think at its default, you're going to be building blue-red aggressive most of the time that's kind of what i get from looking at the spoiler obviously like we haven't played with the cards yet so this could all change in a week i think you're ultimately going to be curving out and pressuring your opponent and then you know having one big spell to finish off the game but there's definitely a world where maybe you combine 
Prismari with Quandrix and, you know, play some sort of a defensive deck that ramps to then these big expensive Prismari spells, like maybe you splash some red in your Quandrix deck. Or I think you could just even build a more defensive Prismari deck. So up first, we've got cards that care about spells. I think the best one of them that is going to be quite a high pick is Prismari Pledge Mage. This is Is It Is It Hybrid for a 3 3 Orc Wizard with Defender, and it has Magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell. It can attack this turn as though it didn't have Defender. Ooh, we had in uh, Guilds of Ravnica, there was a card like this. It was three mana for a 4 3, but with the same text, basically. Right. So Piston Fist Cyclops was that card. This is, I think, a slightly weaker version of that, but what this does is I think it plays both roles well. Like you're going to be able to use this as an aggressive card in the more aggressive versions, but it's also going to play defense super well for you in the deck that wants to get to the late game, and I think this is going to be a really high pick. There are not a lot of good twos running around in Prismari. Next up, we've got Spectacle Mage, which is one blue-red for a 2-2 Bird Shaman with Flying, and it says instant and sorcery spells you cast with mana value five or greater cost one less to cast and there's sort of like a theme of this right yes there is a theme of things that make expensive spells cheaper and just your spells cheaper in general it doesn't always have to be mana value five or greater but there's a little tension on this card right a 2-2 flyer wants to attack your opponent it doesn't want to block to help you get to your big expensive spells right so i think this is more wanting to curve you into maybe a five mana spell on turn four to then keep putting pressure on your opponent. Well, there's another thing. I, I don't know how playable this card is, but isn't it, there's some like giant expensive burn spell. Um, so it could be the sense of like, all right, well, I'm going to ra- race with my flyers. And then you think you're winning the race, but I secretly have like this eight mana spell that now only costs six or whatever. Right. Yes, that's certainly going to happen. So there's also Prismari Apprentice. This is the gold uncommon. It's blue red for a 2-2 human shaman mage craft. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it can't be blocked this turn. If that spell had mana value five or greater, you get a plus one plus one counter on Prismari Apprentice. So again, like this is an aggressive card that wants you to cast these expensive spells. Next up is Maelstrom Muse, the one blue red and then a blue red hybrid for a 2-4 flyer. When it attacks... The next instant or sorcery spell you cast this turn costs X less to cast, where X is Maelstrom uses power as this ability resolves, which is pretty darn good. Yeah, super good. And I think there's ways to, you know, at least make spells free because there's a lot of combat tricks in red that pump power. So you could potentially cast one of those, pump its power, and then get that mana back to like chain through. I do think there's going to be in Prismari, like turns where you burst spells, like you play a spell, you copy it, you get some mana back from your Maelstrom Muse. So it almost feels to me, that's why I was saying there's some tension there. I think the most aggressive versions of Prismari are going to be bursting spells like that. Like you're going to have one turn where you try to cast like a three mana spell and copy it with another two mana spell and get two Magecraft triggers and maybe you kill two opponents creatures or you push a lot of damage. I think that's how the the lower curve version of the deck is going to work. And then some of these cards just feel a little out of place in the I want to cast my eight mana spell version. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, man, I cannot wait for Ryan Sachs to just break the blue red burst deck wide open. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to be very interested to see the screenshots that that man comes up with in the, the early days of the format. Yeah. So the last card we've got here that cares about spells is Symmetry Sage. And again, this is another very aggressive card. This is blue for an O2 human wizard with flying and has magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell target creature you control has base power two until end of turn i'm not that excited about that card (laughs) well you're doing some work to make it a one mana two two flyer right yeah but most turns theoretically you should be casting spells so what are these sweet spells that we're trying to cast or at least trying to cast for cheap so in the more controlling side of things there's practical research uh, which is three blue red for an instant draw four cards then discard two cards unless you discard an instant or sorcery spell i can certainly keep the gas flowing but again like if you're playing the tempo aggro version you're not really going to want to take time off to cast a card draw spell this is the eight mana burn spell i was talking about there's explosive welcome seven and a red for an instant it deals five damage to any target and three damage to any other target and then you add triple red and it's an uncommon i think this card is going to get cast a lot i think this is seems super supported yes i agree there are definitely ways to make it happen for sure if you want to get there Mm -hmm. i just think a lot of the 
the cheapest cards want you to attack. And I think you're maybe like the most focused versions of the deck are going to kill your opponent before you care about that necessarily. Uh, okay, okay, that makes sense. So and speaking of big expensive spells, there's Creative Outburst. This is three blue, blue, red, red. So seven mana total for an instant. Deals five damage to any target. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Or you can pay two mana, blue or red, and discard it to create a treasure token. So presumably, if you are mana hosed, you can you know help get yourself out of that situation. Are there any things that care about instants or sorceries being in your graveyard? There are a little bit. So that's like a way to enable that too, right? You just like get it in your yard, get a treasure token. Yeah, there are cards, a few, but I don't think you're going to wanting to be throwing away a card in that way just to get a, a spell in your graveyard, typically. I think that's more in case of emergency. Okay, makes sense. So speaking of 5 CMC or greater, there's a card called Pigment Storm. This is 3 red red for a sorcery. It deals 5 damage to target creature. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. So more what I'm picturing in the lower curve version of the deck is making a card like this cheaper. Like maybe you make Pigment Storm cost 3 mana instead of 5 mana. And then all of a sudden you have 2 more mana on turn 5 to copy it. So if you can picture a turn where you cast this, you know, dome the opponent a little bit, copy it, kill another creature, dome the opponent a little bit, and then attack with those cheaper aggressive creatures, it looks like you can have some pretty good turns doing something like that. That's what I have in my my mind as like the most typical version of the deck. Ooh, these decks are going to be really tough to pilot. Yes, tough to pilot and tough to play against, I think, because they're going to really truly have explosive turns. Yeah, and it's going to be really hard to know like on curve what you're supposed to be playing around too, because in theory, if they have the mana reducers, you could have a lot of options. It's like more than what you see in terms of your opponent's lands. Right, so... In addition to this aggressive version of the deck, there are also cards that give you treasure and help you ramp to, you know, more expensive spells. So for example, Grinning Ignis is in the set. This is two and a red for a 2-2, and you can pay red to return it to its owner's hand, and you add colorless, colorless, and a red. So normally this is a storm enabler, but here it's just going to be essentially a ritual that's netting you two mana to get you to one of those seven CMC, you know, big flashy spells. There's a card that I am unreasonably excited about that I shouldn't be because I don't know if it's that good, but there's Storm Kiln Artist, three in a red for a 2-2 Dwarf Shaman at Uncommon. It gets plus one plus oh for each artifact you control, which confused me because it's not really an artifact theme, except that it has Magecraft create a treasure token. Yeah, you get a mana back on each of those spells. Best of one Bob loves those deals. Best of one Bob loves those deals. You know him so well, Ben. So we've been talking a lot about ways to copy spells. There's two main ones. First is teach by example. It's is it is it hybrid mana. And it's an instant when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. There's also Rutha Mercurial Artist, one blue red for a 1-4 legendary creature orc shaman, and has two mana, return it to its owner's hand, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, you may choose new targets for the copy. That's not a lot of ways to copy spells for the amount of times you have to have the phrase cast or copy beyond all the magecraft triggers. It's not a ton, but I do think they're going to be powerful and I think you're going to be trying to do it. So there's also some great three CMC spells that are going to work very nicely, you know, when you have five mana to have an explosive turn to copy. Mm -hmm. First up is Heated Debate. This is going to be one of the best red commons. Two and a red instant. It can't be countered and it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. There's Divide by Zero. This is two and a blue for an instant. Return target spell or permanent with mana value one or greater to its owner's hand. And it has Learn. Whoa, that's crazy. Right. So if you copy a card with Learn, then you get to go get two things out of your sideboard, which is pretty busto. Right. And then you're also bouncing two things at instant speed. Yeah. And so Igneous Inspiration in that same vein, two and a red sorcery, deal three to any target and learn. So potentially killing two things, drawing two cards when you copy it. So I do think the copying things is going to be pretty real and pretty powerful. And normally that stuff in limited is like, well, do you really want to put this copy thing in your deck? But I, I do think Prismari is designed to have those bursting turns with copying cards i wonder if teach by example is going to be the kind of card where you're like oh sick i'm getting this like eighth ninth tenth pick after i've picked up these things or you might end up having to take that higher in, in your pick order yeah we'll have to see i would imagine most people won't be on to that as a good card early just because cards typically like that haven't been great but there's a lot going on in prismari 
Mm -hmm. So there's a card also, you know, speaking of the more defensive side of things, there's a card called Pillar Drop Warden. This is three and a red for a one five reach. And you can pay two tap it, sacrifice it, return target instant sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. So something like this, maybe in a more controlling shell where you're really wanting to try to get to the late game and cast more of those expensive spells. Whoa, why only activate as a sorcery? No block sack? No block sack. That's a bummer. So that's pretty much what's going on with Prismari. So the best lessons, I think, are elemental summoning. Each guild has its own summoning card, and uh, Prismari's makes a 4-4 elemental token and costs 5 mana, conveniently enough, to trigger all your stuff that cares about mana value 5. But not crazy to think about just curving that. You know, we thought about a lot about, like, what were we curving with Starnheim Courser in... Uh... In Kaldheim, I think curving the three mana two two flyer into that as a four mana four four that's that's not crazy to think about. Right, I agree. And but again, it's attacking, right? That is an aggressive version of the deck. I think yes. if you're doing those sorts of things, so I think things to be aware of for Prismari Magecraft. I do think the copying things is going to be real, and then having the idea in your head that you need to know whether you're drafting, you know, a curve beat down tempo aggressive version of the deck or a slower deck that i think wants to play a more controlling role and cast the bigger flashier spells sweet all right next up that's going to bring us to black green which is wither bloom so the main theme here i think is sacrifice and life gain but more so than the other colleges that i looked at i think this one has the potential to have a lot of overlapping synergy you know i think blue green really was like this is clear what it's doing. Black green, I'm not sure. There seems to be a lot of different flavors of it, but sort of an overall summary. Black has great removal to bring the table to pair with green's fight spells, as well as there's a black green uncommon kill spell. So there's just lots of interaction in this color pair. And it's going to be interesting to see if it's supposed to be a smattering of these different synergies, or if you're trying to go in hard in one direction, if you're trying to do the like dirtily life gain thing if you're trying to do like some sort of aggressive sacrifice thing if you're trying to do the tokens whatever it seems like the trickiest key if you're doing the grindy deck is getting the sacrifice fodder enough these like one one pest creature tokens that when they die you gain a life and the last thing that i noticed before we get into the card specifics is that there's no double raise dead effect that we're used to, which I think also is going to put some pressure on the sacrifice deck getting there. Well, but you have those pests, right? There's a lot of cards that make pests and those pests gain life when they die. I think black green looks like everything sort of congeals together and feeds itself to me. So there, I don't think there's as much pest makers as you might think, but maybe I'm missing something here. There's basically two big ones that I think you want to focus on. So let's go, let's get into these enablers here for the sack stuff. So the enablers first up, I think this card is going to be really important to the deck hunt for specimens, one in a black sorcery, create a one, one black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain one life, but this also has learn, which is kind of wild. Yeah. That card looks busted. And the best thing to go learn for is Pest summoning. What's that? This is one Golgari Golgari hybrid mana for a lesson. Create two 1-1 one, one black and green pest creature tokens with when this creature dies, you gain one life. So you're essentially turning that one card into three pests given enough time and mana. Yeah, I, I think curving hunt for specimens into pest summoning is going to be one of the best things that this deck can do at common. Sounds super strong to me. There's also Professor of Zoomancy, three and a green for a 4-3 bear druid. When it ETBs, you make a pest. That's a lot of power and toughness for four mana. Yeah, that card is busted all also, it's four mana, four, three, plus the one, one pest to do something with later. Yeah, that seems strong. There's also another card that lets you make a lot of pests in one go. This is tend the pests black green for an instant as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature. Then you make X one, one pests equal to the sacrifice creatures power. And so that's relevant because there's a lot of big, dumb black and green cards that you can get out early unless you sacrifice creatures at your upkeep. So presumably you're sacrificing those pests, right? But you can also cash one of those in to make pests to feed the other large monsters that you have that are hungry for pests. Right. And then aside from Containment Breach, which is a, a sort of naturalized effect, Tuna Green, Sorcery Lesson, destroy an artifact or enchantment. If its mana value is two or less, you make a pest token. But those are your pest makers, Ben. There's not a lot of them. Not a lot of them, but I think you know, if you're getting them, you're going to get multiples of them, right? Yeah, I think you would hope so. I think that, you know, that's a thing about these guild sets or these five deck sets is that it's super, super important for you to find the open one. I mean, unless there's like really stark differences, you just get paid off so hard if you end up being the only Witherbloom drafter at the table. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of life gain, and we'll, we'll talk more about the life gain payoffs than the enablers, but there is quite a bit of incidental life gain. I mean, the pests, obviously, but then just a lot of stuff that has lifelink. There's Leech Fanatic, which I think is actually going to be good here, but I don't know. Sometimes these effects fall flat. This is one in a black for a 2-2. As long as it's your turn, Leech Fanatic has lifelink. But I think you know the problem that you listed, Ben, in, in terms of looking at Prismari's two drops, I just sort of found like overall two drops were a little scarce in this format. Yeah, it makes me wonder about the speed of the format. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff that looks like it wants to grind and go to the late game. And a lot of incidental life gain, which points to a slower format as well. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the payoffs, what do we have that's going to, you know, give us back some stuff for doing all this life gain and sacrificing? So at common, we've got blood researcher, which is one black green for a two two with menace. And whenever you gain life, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Blood Researcher. This Having Menace can get out of hand in a hurry. Yeah, and it's each instance, right? It's not limited to once per turn? Correct. Whenever you gain life. Wow, that seems like it could be powerful. Yeah, I think so. Next is Brackish Trudge. This is two and a black for a 4-2 Fungus Beast, and it enters the battlefield tapped. You can pay one and a black to return it from your graveyard to your hand. Activate this only if you gain life this turn. Yeah, so that that feels like that's the recursive thing to do in, in this deck rather than, you know, get a couple good creatures in the yard and then cast something that gets them both back. So I, I think Brackish Trudge is going to be a high pick for this deck. And then perhaps my favorite name of a card in this set, there's Honor Troll, which is two and a green for a two, three troll druid with vigilance. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead. And it gets plus two, plus one, as long as you have 25 or more life. I mean, turning those pests into gain two yeah. each time one die, that's big game. It's big game. I think all three of these payoffs are really, really strong. So in the world of sacrifice, what's going on there? Okay, so the first of two payoffs here. This I've got my eyes on this card, Ben. This is Bayou Groff. This is a common. It's one and a green for a 5-4. So two mana for a 5-4. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature, or pay three. Yeah. So it's either a five mana 5-4, which is whatever. But the times where you can curve into this, there are a couple one drops that are good to sacrifice, not in green, but in black. Um, sacrificing pests, being able to double spell later on, like on turn four, sack a pest, pay two mana for this, and then do something else with two mana. I think this card might just be the best green common potentially. Yeah, it looks super powerful. There's a card at common that goes right along with it, which is Unwilling Ingredient. It's single black for a 1-1 one, one with Menace, and you can pay two and a black to exile Unwilling Ingredient from your graveyard to draw a card and lose a life. So, you know, potentially curving Unwilling Ingredient, sacrifice it to the 5-4, and then you're going to eventually get your card back from the Unwilling Ingredient as well seems busted to me right and while we're talking about it there's there's an uncommon called eye witch which is a one mana one one flyer in black and when it dies you learn so the thing about all three of these cards is not only are eye witch and unwilling ingredient good things to curve one two into bayou Groff to get you that turn two five four so it doesn't seem that unreasonable but also there's this theme of things that wear plus one plus one counters very well and so eye witch and unwilling ingredient one having flying one having menace both forms of evasion those also are going to have synergy with things that make them bigger themselves. So like, I think the, all three of those cards really work towards a plan together. Yeah, and then really tying the room together here, we've got uh, Black Green Legendary Dina Soul Steeper. This is Black Green for a 1-3 Dryad Druid, and whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. You can pay one, sacrifice another creature to give Dina Soul Steeper plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is the sacrificed creature's power. Dina does it all. I mean, these... Cards that are sort of like both either payoffs or enablers, or in the case of Dina, both uh, payoffs for life gain and sacrifice. Like, it's really, really good. Yeah. So can you give us sort of a summary of black green? I think, again, this has multiple flavors, and I'm curious to see which is the best. The one I am most excited about is doing a sacrifice-y, more aggressive thing based around those three cards I talked about, Eye Witch, Unwilling Ingredient, and the Bayou Groff. But I definitely can see worlds where you have a more life gain-based, grindy version that's wanting to go to the late game that's based around some pests as well. Um, but also, maybe all of those things just go in the same deck together and work great. Yeah, it does seem, I agree, it does seem like there's a little two-flavor thing going on where there's more aggro beatdown version and a bigger deck. I agree, I'm excited about the Bayou Groff and sacrificing fodder to it and beating down. Ugh, that makes me so mad because when I saw Bayou Groff and like the ways that it interacted, I was like, oh, this is going to be sweet. And that the fact that like both you and Alex are also like, yeah, this is sweet. I'm like, oh man, 
This is like <laughs> everyone's just going to be doing this. Yeah. Uh, there could be some stiff competition to pick up those biographs. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Red White Lorehold. So as sort of a big picture main theme, it cares about spirits. So almost a spirit tribal deck and cards leaving the graveyard. So basically what's going on here, I think Red White at its base looks like a deck that kind of wants to attack. But I think it also, if you want to, has the ability to grind. And there's several build arounds that can let you go pretty hard to the late game. And I think one of the other things is several of the spirit lords, you know, maybe after you get in some chip damage in combat early, give you a lot of reach um, based on, you know, getting things out of your graveyard or maybe tapping them to deal damage to the opponents. We'll see all of that stuff. But Red White does look pretty straightforward to me. So first up, we've got some spirit lords. Quintorius Field Historian is the best of them. Three red white for a 2-4 elephant cleric, and it gives spirits you control plus one plus O. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. And it's worth noting there are a lot of ways to get cards to leave your graveyard, and then you don't have to invest any mana to make a free 3-2. That's pretty bonkers. Next up, we've got Returned Past Caller. This is the three red white and then a red white hybrid for a 4-2 spirit cleric with flying when it etbs return target spirit instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand yeah so gonna help you grind and trigger something leaving your graveyard pretty busto nice next up we've got lorehold apprentice this is red white for a 2-2 with magecraft whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell until end of turn spirit creatures you control gain tap this creature deals one damage to each opponent so i do think you know there's going to be times where you know you've gotten in 10 points of damage you have three or four spirits on the battlefield but your opponents brickwalled you, you know, the game's going late and you're just going to be trying to find some spells to be able to, you know, ping your opponent to death with your spirit army. And lastly, we've got a common here that's pretty sweet. Blood Age General, one and a red for a 2-2 spirit warrior, and it has the ability tap attacking spirits get plus one plus O oh until end of turn. So not only is it a spirit itself, but also does stuff to other spirits. Right. So basically, I think, you know, if you're drafting Lorehold, if you see a red or a white creature that is a spirit, it probably belongs in red white. That was my general experience looking through the spoiler. And there I, I had in my head that it was going to be, you know, needing to build your three, two spirit tokens from the graveyard. But there just are a lot of good cards that are spirits intrinsically. And there's the, the lesson that just makes a three, two spirit, right? Yes, that's a, true as well. There's spirit summoning. So I've sort of got cards grouped into three categories here. Cards that care about, you know, things leaving the graveyard, some ways to get cards in the graveyard, and then ways to get cards out of the graveyard. So we've seen Quintorius already. We've got Stonebound Mentor as another one. This is one red-white for a 3-3 common. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, scry one. There's Fuming Effigy, three and a red for a 4-3 spirit at common. Whenever one or more cards leave your graveyard, Fuming Effigy deals one damage to each opponent. Dang, that's aggro. Yeah. And last one is Stonebinders Familiar. This is white for a 1-1 spirit dog. Whenever one or more cards are put into exile during your turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Stonebinders Familiar. This ability triggers only once each turn. And then you got ways to get cards in the graveyard. There's sort of a cathartic reunion variant, uh, thrilling discovery, red white for a sorcery at common. You gain two life, then you may discard two cards. If you do, draw three cards. Yeah, there's also a really sweet build around called Lorehold Excavation. And I think both of these cards are going to go in the grindier version of the deck. This is red, white for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, mill a card. If a land card was milled this way, you gain a life. Otherwise, Lorehold Excavation deals one damage to each opponent. And you can pay five, exile a creature card from your graveyard, make a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token tapped. Sick. So that triggers the stuff that cares about things leaving your graveyard and pairs nicely with the stuff that cares about spirits. Yes. So there's a pretty spicy potential sub-theme going on here where you might be able to deck yourself and manipulate the bottom of your library. I don't know if I don't know if we're going to be going that deep or not. Well, <laughs> Ben, if there's one person who can do it, it's me. <laughs> I, have, I have best of faith that you will be doing this. I'm going to try it as well. So first up is Excavated Wall in tandem with those other two cards. One mana for an 0-4 with Defender. So it's going to line up nicely with a lot of the cheap aggressive creatures, blocks well, and you can pay one tap card. So put the top card of your library in your graveyard. It's also just going to put things in your graveyard to to, you know, do other things in red, white. And then along with that, there's Cogwork Archivist. Can I please read this? Absolutely. <laughs> Six mana for a four, five with reach. Two tap, put target card from a graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library. So you think we could just like get to a point in the game with this deck or a version of this deck where we're stacking our library? It seems possible to me. I can't imagine why else those cards are there. Excavated Wall and Cogwork Archivist. 
That is so awesome. I'm so excited for this deck now. I mean, it's a little awkward with Lorehold Excavation because then that is going to mill you, but you can that happens at the end of your turn, right? So then you can do that before, you know, you can put the bo- the card on the bottom. So you'll always have a card to draw. You just need two Archivists. That's it. Yeah, but you don't even need two Archivists. Yeah, you do, because you got to make sure that if one dies, you can get the other one back. Come on, come on. <laughs> sure. All right, all right. Yes, you need two Archivists. What was I thinking? <laughs> My humble apologies. So I think that's like a spicier version of red white, but then there's also just a more straightforward version. So as far as ways to get cards out of the graveyard, they are plentiful. And, you know, we've already seen some of those cards do double duty. Um, one of the ones I've really got my eye on is stone rise spirit. It's one and a white for a one, two flying four exile a card from your graveyard and target creature gains flying until end of turn. Really a way to make your 3-2 spirit creatures not like clunky fodder and turn them into real threats. Yeah, this card is going to be super annoying. Like in the mid game, you're just going to feel like you have to kill this or you're dead. Well, and there's like lords that pump its power too, which is also going to turn it into a two mana 2-2 flyer, which is a great card. Yeah, good point. We're not going to list all those ways to get cards out of the graveyard, but you should be have your eye out for them. And again, most of them are just spirit creatures. So I think an easy way to shortcut drafting Lorehold is early on in the format, if you see a card and it's a spirit and it's red or white, it probably goes in your deck. Yeah, it seems like there's just a ton of inherent synergy there. So there's also some equipment that I want to highlight that looks super good in general, but also insanely busted specifically in Lorehold. First up is Team Pennant. This is one for an artifact. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has Vigilance and Trample. Also going to play super well in Quandrix with those giant fractal tokens. Yeah, um, But you can equip a creature token for one mana and it has a regular equip cost of three. So I think this card is just going to be very powerful. Yeah. Which makes, again, I'm like kind of bummed because I feel like coming off of Tormentor's Helm and especially Goldvein pick, people are gonna be interested in this card. Whereas I think, you know, previously, this might have been a sleeper for a few weeks. But I totally agree that making the three two spirit tokens into four threes with vigilance and trample exactly what you said about the fractals and blue green. I think this card has a lot of homes. Yeah, there's also another one Zephyr boots. This is one mana for an equipment equipped creature has flying and whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player draw a card then discard a card equip cost of two. So again, gonna be good with fractals gonna be good with our three two spirits to turn them into flyers and specifically i think plays well in Lorehold because it's going to fuel getting stuff in your graveyard via the looting effect yeah oh that all makes really really good sense so yeah i think that's what's going on in Lorehold. i think it's a pretty straightforward thing i think the the self mill stuff i hope it's good enough to go deep reliably on that but even if it only happens a few times a format will still be really cool but i think at its core looks pretty straightforward Pick some spirits, you know, draft some spirit lords, get some cards in your graveyard, take them out of your graveyard for value. Well, speaking of pretty straightforward, that's going to bring us to our last college here, which is black white, a.k.a. silver quill. And the main theme here is plus one plus one counters. It's really just I think in terms of a summary, I think the deck feels at least on looking at it feels similar to building red white and call time. I think you need a good balance of creatures and creature augmentation and in this case, it's not auras or equipment, but it's plus one plus one counters as the way to augment your creatures. That's the main name of the game here. And as a result, I think you're going to want to build this deck aggressively, though I imagine some other flavors will emerge as well as the format evolves. So first up, looking at enablers for plus one plus one counters, there's quite a few. Some things to note here. First up, we've got Star Pupil, single white for a human wizard at common. It's a zero zero. It enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. And when it dies, you put its counters on target creature you control. So at its face value, it's only just going to put a counter somewhere. But there are pretty nasty ways to curve this into other counter makers, which makes this not only a formidable threat to deal with, but then it's going to dump a bunch of counters onto another one of your creatures when it dies. Darkbound worker. Yeah, the main card I'm interested in curving this into is Essence Infusion, which is one and a black for a sorcery. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It gains lifelink until end of turn. Having this attacking on turn two as a 3-3 that then has the potential to, okay, once I kill it, it now adds three counters to another creature. That is ridiculous. Yeah, that seems pretty nice to me. We talked about a couple other one drops, you know, in black that wear counters well. What other ways are there to enable the plus one plus one counters? So there's guiding voice. This is white for a sorcery, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, and then you learn. And there's specifically a lesson that's coming to mind called expanded anatomy that lets you put two plus one plus one counters on a creature. So you can, again, just fuel that plus one plus one counter theme through learning 
learning and lessons. There's like incidental counters like humiliate. This is another good thing to curve our little uh, star pupil into. White, black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an on-land card from it. That player discards that card. And then you put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control. So continuing the theme of a star pupil, eventually they get full of themselves and their <laughs> their uh, talent and they become spiteful squad. So this is two white black for a zero zero human warlock with death touch enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. And when spiteful squad dies, you get to put the counters on target creature you control. So all the star pupils hanging out together, turning into the spiteful squad. Yeah, I specifically think this is great if you feel like you're in a racing situation because this like plays nicely on defense and then you dump the counters onto the creature you're going to attack with again next turn. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So in terms of payoffs, you're just looking for stuff that wears counters well. So that can be like the one one fly or the one one menace or whatever you know um i think specifically i'm looking at one of these uncommons killian ink duelist which is white black for a two two legendary creature with lifelink and menace spells you cast that target a creature cost two less to cast so that's making your ways to like put counters on stuff cheaper and this wears counters super well because it's a lifelink menacer yeah all of the legendary creatures for their color pair just look super strong and then sort of like in the both category in the payoff slash enabler category we've got two cards first up is dueling coach three and a white for a two two human monk when it etbs you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature and you can pay four and a white tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it. Do you think this card is good? It looks so clunky to me. I think the fact that you can curve it into its own ability is quite good. And I think this has the potential to just be like Anthem your team. <laughs> I do think that is true. Yeah, I'm just wondering if Silver Quill wants to take time off to do that. It looks pretty aggressive. I think it does look pretty aggressive, but... You know, like I said, there might be other flavors. And also you might get to a point where you're like, all right, my opponent is stabilized, but all it's going to take is one or two dueling coach activations. And then I just attack all and win. Right. So in that vein, there's tenured ink caster as well. This is four and a black for a two, two. When ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. And whenever a creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it attacks, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Oof, yeah. Speaking of ways to end a game. In terms of sub-themes for Silver Quill, there really aren't any. There's like a little bit of life gain. So like handful of life linkers, but not really life gain payoffs. There's one card that like kind of cares about flyers in Shadewing Laureate, which is white-black and then a white-black hybrid for a 2-2 flyer. Whenever another creature you control with flying dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. But it really just seems pretty straightforward to me as black-white, and I think the best way to build that is going to be aggressive. A couple cards that I didn't really know where to talk about, but I did end up putting in my little skeleton here. First up is Arrogant Poet, which is one and a black for a 2-1. Whenever it attacks, you can pay two life. If you do, it gains flying until end of turn, which I sort of wrote off because like it's not that great, right? You're paying, paying two life to essentially deal your opponent two damage. But if you dump some counters on this... And now it's like a 4-3 flyer, you pay two life to deal your opponent four. I think there are some aggressive versions of the deck that are really going to want this card. Yeah, that makes sense. There were also a lot of cards with lifelink floating around too, maybe to help fuel that. Mm -hmm. I think this deck is really going to want to learn because of expanded anatomy, right? The card you mentioned, the three mana, put two counters on something. And so in that sense, this card, Professor of Symbology, I think is going to be great, which is just one and a white for a 2-1 when it ETBs you learn. I think that's probably just going to be a high pick period. Um, but I think specifically good in this deck. Right. And also we should talk about the lesson, which is the Inkling summoning. So the Black White's tokens are 2-1 flyers, which are also going to wear plus one, plus one counters super well and be very aggressive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. So not only wanting those counters, but also having that lesson that just is a three mana 2-1 flyer. And I think that's it. So how do you feel right now having dived into these colleges? Well, one, I, like I said, I've never really done this before, at least that this in-depth before doing the crash course, I feel really prepped to have a good sense of how to grade cards, I think, uh, when I do my set review with Alex tomorrow and then when we talk about cards next week. So I'm, I'm happy to have done this. And then in terms of like how I feel about the decks, I think the ones I'm most excited about right now are blue, red, and black, green. Yes, I think those... I'm excited about the red, white deck yourself also, if that's a thing. Yeah, that seems sweet. Silver Quill seems pretty straightforward to me, but I could see... I was kind of poo-pooing the, the star people, the one one that wears counters, but knowing that you can curve into that with the spells that put plus almost one counters on it, Seems like you could have some pretty aggressive starts there, but I agree. The ones that stuck out to me were black green looked very powerful 
at first glance. It just seemed like everything was gelling and working together. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the other colleges have, you know, uh, some tension going on. And maybe that's good. You know, maybe that means the format's not going to get stale. You know, maybe you can be drafting an aggressive version of Prismari while someone else is drafting a controlling version of Prismari. And then the other the other thing is I'm just curious, you know, with the guild gates and that sort of thing, how much we are going to be splashing cards from other colleges, how much cross-curricular learning is going to be going on, as it were. Yeah, I wonder. I, I, I hope some, because I think in general, these like, you know, five guild or five college, whatever sets end up getting stale more quickly than other sets. So I'm hoping in terms of our sake as not only draft fanatics, but content creators that there's a lot to mine over the coming months with this set. Yeah, it does seem like there's some pretty sweet potential to do creative things in the deck building process for sure. Yeah. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always, Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to channelfireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you are heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot an email to lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. And Magecraft exists in all five, uh, what are what are they, schools? Colleges. Colleges, thank you. I'm not going to get that. So that's pretty much what's going on with Is It. Uh, there's, again, ah, like, ah, I think... Ah, a, ah, dang it. So how do you feel right now, you know, having dived into these five guilds? I think uh, uh, the format uh, look... Colleges, <sighs> Ben. Dang it. <laughs> and I think a lot of the other guilds... Dang it. And I think <laughs> we need like a swear jar or something. <laughs> it's going to happen so much. <laughs>